Are you unable to concentrate on the tasks at hand? Do you need help focusing more or leveling up your game? Here's a tip. Try Cognizant Citicoline, clinically studied to support mental energy, focus, memory, and attention. Cognizant supports brain health and supplies the brain with the energy it needs to stay sharp. Cognizant is a leading nootropic featured in over 200 products. This podcast is powered by Cognizant. Visit Cognizant.com to learn more and find a product to help you fuel your day. Ready to achieve great heights? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Power Your Performance, the podcast where we dive deep with leaders in the gaming world and beyond and learn the techniques they use to power their lives. I am your host, Gary Kleinman. So Power Your Performance welcomes with wholeheartedly excitement, Wimstocks. How are you? Hey, Gary, very nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to our to our discussion. Who knows where it's going to go? It'll go someplace good in health, wellness, and gaming, brought to us by the wonderful people at Cognizant. So if anybody that I have seen in gaming has a long history of lots of different skill sets, capabilities, and vision, it's you. And and it's just a pleasure to have somebody with that arc of, of experience here with us. So tell me, did you grow up being a gamer? I, you know, it's a, it's a funny, I've, I've had to reflect on this because how this all, it seemed so random in its, its occurrence and sort of the staging of my career. But, but there, as I think back on it, it reflected on it a lot, obviously. First of all, I've been doing this a long time in my 30 plus years of being in the, in the gaming business. When I started in the gaming business, it was really a garage business and it is just quite the opposite of that these days and really fun to have seen it grow mature I, I, I say I use the word mature but it still is far from mature there's so much excitement and going and, and sort of permutations and evolution that that no one safe to say no one saw happening in the in sort of the, the monumental way it is happening but 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 I I grew up in a in a gaming household. My my dad, and this is this is I think the the start of it all. We played we played a lot of, even very young age, you know, four or five played board games all the time. But my dad, when I was seven, bought a pinball machine and put. Hopefully, everybody knows what a pinball machine is. Probably <laughs> a lot of people who don't. But um, in the early days, to me, pinball was was a video game and although, although I didn't really fully know what a video game was at that point but but by the time I, I dad brought this thing home bells lights you know whistles a little round silver ball that you could you could direct around I was instantly hooked on it and by the time I was 8 I could take the pinball machine apart and put it back together again wow it was it was always falling into disrepair you know these these old electromagnetic Oh uh, yes. Fields always something going wrong, and so I, I first of all we we got very close to a, a pinball wholesaler who was able to sell us parts, and but we were repairing a thing and all all the time, and and I uh, you know I've had a lot of conversations about about gaming, and that really is the the thing that got me sort of hooked on gaming. Although at that point I never ever thought there were were, were things like jobs in in gaming. I had no idea that 
that you certainly that there was a job in gaming, let alone having a career in gaming. So, well, before you go um, any further, and since I love pinball and I grew up playing it, and and whenever I see one, I'm afraid to start because I never have enough quarters or time. Your favorite pinball? When you look back, what is the game that stands out? Well, there was a game. It was a game called. And this is it was a Williams game. I know that I I I, I will go to my grave craving the play of a Gottlieb machine or a Williams machine. Right. The new ones today, to, in my mind, they're, they're, you, you get certainly get the pinball experience, but they're nothing like a, a, a no. Gottlieb in its prime was probably the, one of the greatest machines ever built. And, but there was a game called Kill All Surfers, and uh, it was a Williams game. The, the, whole, the whole premise of it was, you know, the knockdowns on a, in a pinball machine was to knock down all the surfers. And right. it was, I, I, I it, I think it wasn't necessarily the most playable, but I love the notion of killing all surfers. So some of the newer games are pretty good. What's the monster game or Martian game? I'm going to forget the name of it, but that's a pretty good one too. But but I will will go to my grave remembering mm-hmm. Kill All Surfers and the Williams Machine. Great, great. And you know your point about quarters. I used to steal quarters out of my mother's knitting <laughs> knitting purse to it sneak into the bowling alley to, to play. So did, I, didn't we I all? It, yeah, we did. It, it, we'll get off pinballs in, in, in a second, but there is a pinball museum in Las Vegas. and I've it, not been yet. I, you've I got, I got is, to tell yeah. you, it it is, and everything is playable. So it's all there and they're all available for play. And every game that you have ever wanted to play is is there the other place to go is the museum of play in rochester new york if you can get somebody to show you the basement they've got the pinball machines all in working order made out of wood and go back to you know the 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 old pinball machines where you can hit the ball up into the bleachers and yet you've got the the baseball yeah, counter yeah. that's love that, that. Love, love, love those, those are all yeah, there are... and uh, i can talk about that forever because i spent so much time in an arcade in in high school and then college which explains probably my grades in college but that's again a different story for a different day so you you graduate from from pinball to somewhere into the video game world were you surprised that there was even jobs available because you've got this long history i i when i was in i was a math major in college and and what wasn't sure what to do with it i i started Postgraduate, as an engine going in engineering school, did said, "Man, what am I doing? This isn't for me," and and didn't even make it through the first quarter of, of graduate school. But co- coding, you know, coding a computer w- w- was part of the the curriculum to become a math major, and I and I stunk at it. But but I did it did show me that there we could make these very rudimentary games on computers and and all you know Fortran based and loading loading cards into into card readers to to make the you know, essentially to do the, the programming in the computer and and that it, it certainly didn't the light bulb didn't go off at that point but i but there was something there and and it got me more interested in computing and this is i and i was graduating from college in 19, late 70s and and um you know compute personal computers didn't really exist at that point so but nonetheless my the did that whole Fortraning programming that we did got me kind of interested in in the fact that there could be electronic versions of 
of games that are playable. And so after after I graduated from college, went to work for AT&T, got involved in selling computers. These are Unix-based computers. But again, all the more close close now to sort of the electronic computing platforms that, that would be obviously the, those that propelled gaming. And and I after I went to work for AT&T, I was getting a little bored with the big corporate environment. I went to work for a, a software distribution company. It's probably the best way to say it. And and what wasn't it was music software, so music CDs, video video VHS was just getting started in those days. And and also was was mass market computer software. The, this is the likelihood you might, Gary. I don't I don't think you're quite my era, but but Egghead and Computerland, these were the retailers selling sure, consumer yes. computer software. And and at that point, you know, the targets, the WalMarts, the Best Buys of the world. While they were around, they were they were they were not, were not selling computer software, so very specialty, and started to to get involved in distributing these new computer games. They were on floppy disk. If you you may remember the, the sure. word uh, trippy, which meant there was a Commodore, there was an Apple, and there was an IBM PC version of the game in one box. That was a trippy. A flippy was uh, Apple and Apple II and PC iteration of a game, and those were C. Sierra Online in the early days, Gabriel Knights, those games, multiple, you know, you had to, you had to, in order to program them and load them into your computer, you'd load in multiple disks at a time. And it was that that really, to me, sort of illuminated what, what gaming could be and what it was all about. A lot of storytelling in those days. Roberta Davis, still one of the greatest software story writers that ever existed and 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 she was the she was the brains behind a lot of the Sierra Online, especially Gabriel Knights line. So I got addicted to those, you know, enter Atari, enter Nintendo. This is now, you know, the mid 80s and all position is toys. But nonetheless, as you know, really the premise of, of gaming, the foundation of gaming in the U.S. And and then fully engaged in in software as a as a business in the late 80s through this distribution company, we ended up starting a division around purely around entertainment software there was some music software people may remember cd plus and enhanced cd where a cd would not only contain the music content it also contained multimedia content yeah. we were very big in the distribution around that there was some gaming on that but but it was really the the 90s as the you know the first playstation gets in, gets released nintendo 64 or nintendo first since nest were we're out at that point, and that's really through the distribution side. Became involved in pub publisher. The first publisher I went to work for was GT Interactive, very seminal publisher slash distributor of PC video games in in the United States. This is the, the we we distributed and published Doom, Quake, Duke Nukem, Unreal. Epic was our Epic was our partner back in those days. We published all the Unreal Unreal tournament, and we really cornered the market as a publisher on on first-person shooters, and and those were huge titles in those in those days, all P, all PC based. Not long after, got involved in the console scene. So the, the, those were really my my formative days in in gaming, and all from the publishing perspective. Never a developer, even though I had this you know this really I'm not a very good coding background, but but had the exposure at least to start through through coding and and uh, but always on the business side, sales, marketing, licensing, distribution. And it's been it's carried me, you know, through to the point I'm I am today. The the big pivot for me, we we I, I think one of the, the things you could say about me, I was always looking for 
what was going to happen next, okay. what was the, the next big thing. Digital, when we were a, a, a publisher in the late 90s, early 2000s, all all games were still distributed in, on hard copies, sold in Best Buys and Walmarts and Targets and, and GameStops. But we, we as, a, as a company, and this is now GT Interactive, got, got involved early in digital distribution. And, and I pushed a lot of that for our company. And, and it was, wasn't, again, it wasn't, it wasn't rocket science, watching the music business go all digital, watching the video business go all digital, watching the book business go all digital. It was only the only thing that kept gaming back was that the files were so large, the bandwidth right. sort of had to catch up to it. So. But was so, it so, from the company's perspective then? Was it still kind of viewed as a niche business? I mean, large. Oh yeah, but very much very good. niche, and, which is so different than it is today. Is that right. it? It might be lots of niches put together, but then it was really a kind of a finite niche. Well, and and what what even inhibited it is that here we are a big publisher and we have these big retail customers who you know, initially didn't quite see there was any threat, but after watching the music businesses go and the, and the, and the book businesses go and the video business started to go, say, wait a minute, you guys get in digital distribution, you're going to lose our support for your products in, in our retail channels. And, and it, they were heavy handed. They can be heavy, especially the likes of Walmart and, and Target and, and Best Buy and GameStop. So we had to tread very lightly and, and, all publishers treaded lightly because they couldn't lose the volume associated with these retail sales. So, in any event, we but we pushed the envelope. We did we did things with sub licenses. We did something we things with sub you know sub licenses that weren't necessarily the 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 top or the IP that was at the top of our of our supply chain, but nonetheless were were ways for us to navigate through and learn about how digital distribution would come into to play and come into being and. So did a lot of lot of that experimentation and through through I, I, I give all my bosses in the time a ton of credit for giving me the the, the leash and the and the noose to, to hang myself. But but we did we learned a lot and and of course now you know finding a game even at GameStop is hard to do because consumers now are are obviously downloading and and doing either streaming or or downloading a game or or playing digitally in some form or fashion. So. So that was a that was a, a big moment and and uh, but slowly but surely you know took took the we have we have the music business to to thank really for for making all the mistakes and helping us understand what the right way to engage with the consumer digitally w w was to be and and again we we took a really good advantage of of all the other forces in the marketplace at the time that were trying these things and. And ultimately, we, we 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 came we came out okay. So all all good in, in that regard. I, you know, the the publishing business was was it was sort of losing interest for me in the in the mid 2000s as our as our business. We were at that point, GT Interactive had been merged with a company called Infogram. Infogram was a European-based publisher and distributor. GT was a U.S.-based distributor and publisher, North American-based, really. And we merged with that company, it made all sense in the world, very complimentary in every way. And then we also made a made a really important purchase of Hasbro, was sold out their inter interactive division. We bought it. That all got merged together. And in the in the IP of Hasbro, some the you know, most amazing game IP on the planet, but buried in their IP list as we were doing due diligence, here's the Atari brand. 
And none of us knew that Hasbro owned the Atari brand at the time we were buying Hasbro Interactive. So we got that as part of the acquisition. It was really a license. It was a, it was a 20, it's going to be a 20 year license. I'm sorry, 15 year license for anything Atari. Hasbro was still going to be the master licensor, but we were able to leverage a lot of the Atari IP in both a retro way, but also reinvented ways, mobile, all these other digital platforms. And in combination with a great footprint, a global footprint for, for sales and distribution, it was it became a, a really st- a strong, big entity and company. And But as that was waning, I wanted to do more digitally. That's the, the rest of the, the world was still kind of hung up on retail. I formed my own company called Elephant Entertainment. We were all things digital, from, from casual games, downloadable games, to massively multiplayer online games. We did a lot of Relicensing from for Korean MMOs, bringing them over, localizing them. That was that was in the 2006 to 2008 era. And at the end of, of that, you might remember, we lived through 2008. It was a disaster year. The markets were falling apart. The real estate falling apart. The all the banks were crashing. And that was the time we were out trying to raise money for our <laughs> new company. And we ended up selling to a public major publisher, THQ who had no digital strategy whatsoever. They bought our company to help them get involved in digital, not only learning for the mass market for digital games, casual games, uh, downloadable games, mobile games, but also getting more involved in MMOs. And and I lasted there for two of the three years of, of my contract. I ended up buying myself out of my final year and got involved in with a small little startup. Two young guys had a great vision for competitive gaming and for, for playing games competitively online. The, this is now all portending esports, but at the time that word didn't exist. This is in the 2009 timeframe. Had a great idea, a great platform that enabled head-to-head play for money. A lot of misunderstanding about what that was. Everyone thought it was gambling, but but in those days, now, now very commonly referred to and referenced to skill-based gaming. And at the time, it was a sort of a very much a subset of, of, of and, and, can, and fell into the into the definition of, of gambling. But it, if, if you stayed as a, a head-to-head match with no, no third-party betting on the outcome, that is perfectly legal as long as it's a game of skill. And right. we, had to edu- we had to educate every publisher about it. We, we, we sat with the NFL. We sat with the NBA. We sat with the FIFA organization to talk about this platform. All, all of our games were... Were, were at that time where we were really sports sim focused and Madden was the first game that that we had and we did it all illegally or or I should say <laughs> without permission we, we without okay. permission and what how we viewed this is that when you get a cease and desist that's a good thing because now you can you, now you're in a conversation right well and, somebody um, somebody saw you but we're, we're was that really the first time that there was this head-to-head competition for Pricing, essentially. Well, it n- not uh, it. It was one of the very early. Now, at the same time, we are building our company. This is this is. It started as World Gaming, but you, those who are remembering the story, will know that we entered the market as Virgin Gaming. And uh-huh. uh, Richard Branson heard about what we were doing through Virgin Mobile in Canada, and loved the fact that we were, as you know, Virgin brand affiliates with traditional businesses, but tr- traditional businesses that have turned the model on its head in some form or fashion. This was the first time that a, a pl- online platform had been enabled for 
for on, for online play for, for cash. MLG was being built at the same time. They were doing more things with virtual currency than they were with real currency. We were, we were you know, hard dollars. We got set up with PayPal, which was also really interesting because they weren't setting up gambling companies. And, the, and their, the fact that they acknowledged us as a legit business not gambling related really also put the put the, the illumination on what we were doing. And but we I can't say we were the first, Gary, but we were certainly Well you're, the, you're certainly early acknowledging the competitive aspect in, in a yeah. formalized way. That's right. And, and and that had that had some some money involved that had right. an outcome involved for, for pricing. But that was that was really the, the after we launched our company, again I I'm passing through the, the no. Branson story, but he he saw he wanted to own the company. We said if it wasn't for sale, he we were still going, planning on going into market as World Gaming. But he said I'll I'll give you the Virgin name if you go into market as Virgin Gaming and give me a favorable evaluation on on my investment, which we agreed to do. It, was, it actually was a very reasonable thing after after going through some rather heavy negotiation with his biz guys, but. But once he stepped in, it was an easy process. We launched in 2010 as Virgin Gaming at, at, at E3. We had, a, we had a great turnout. We were on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Gambling comes to video gaming, even though we weren't gambling. Again, part of the educational process. And really put, we our very first deal we did was with EA. And EA actually used our tech, our platform tech, in, in Madden 2011, in FIFA 2011, and in NHL 2011. So... In the in these sports sims games, we we had our tech, and which was which is monumental for us because the minute somebody logged into the game, they could drop down to the to the play menu and see Virgin Gaming lobby. And once in the lobby, they registered automatically for play on our platform and could through the game could play for a ten dollar match, five dollar match, and that those for us that was you know that was lights out. That that the very first night our FIFA lobby lit up. We had over seven hundred thousand registrations. That's crazy. Um, which, which we weren't ready for. So, but our first deal, and this is to 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 this day, I, I we take credit with making him CFO or CEO of EA. Andrew Wilson did our deal. He was the head of. He's now the CEO of EA. He is the. He was at the time head of global game development and all of this sort of integration and modernization. The result of which was was in his his jurisdiction. We had. Two meetings with them, and he said, "We're going to do this." And to this day, put put EA on the map, and then and certainly put us on the map. Uh, and now, of course, Andrew Wilson's CEO. I'm, I'm only being facetious. That's not the reason he. We are we are not the reason he's he's CEO. But I, well, I kid him about it all the time. <laughs> and make sure. He, but you're part of the reason. But part of um, <laughs> right. So so that was that was my my entree into esports. And again, the word esports didn't exist. We. We went on to strike deals with many publishers around the same kind of dynamic. And then we were purchased, we were invested in, let's put it this way, by Cineplex. This was in 2013. A a lot of the early investors, pardon me, were Canadian. And Cineplex being a Canadian company, we were very well networked. They watched what we were doing. They were in the throes of diversifying movie theaters, trying to think of new ways to to light up movie theaters, how to utilize them, how to bring them to, in, into a more contemporary experience. And gaming was was a bit, big thing that they focused on. Esports as a live activation, very, very theaters could, could work very well in that regard. So 
what started as a it was a, a sort of a small investment. Two years later, three years later, in 2017, they bought the they bought most of the company, and we we got all in involved in in terms of building our platform. We bought a collegiate esports fledgling little collegiate esports organization called Collegiate Star League (CSL) for short. That young young man started a league on the west coast of the United States, putting put, playing StarCraft between colleges, no different than than you know, like a Pac-12 playing football. Right. He built this conference to play StarCraft too, and and this, when we took it over, I think there were 35 schools. When we sold it in 2020, there were 1,800 schools involved. There were 10 different leagues. Every, every league had multiple divisions, like a Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. We started a women's league. So, so that was what was also just a, a lot of fun, and you know, to 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 de- today in Scholastic Esports, there isn't a college that doesn't have an esports program. It doesn't have a gaming curriculum. It's now one of the one schools are now building facilities so they can recruit some of the best. Yeah, no that, question. Yeah, so and they're, and they're giving so, academic scholarships and and everything else, which is which is fantastic. But go back. So, what made you look at the collegiate? area and think it was so robust at the beginning before the explosion well it it was just it made perfect sense that this this is a demographic that that is is core to video gaming and you know especially males in the in the 16 to 21 era this is a you know they're still in school they have time to devote to video gaming and and we were tapping into the one thing about esports that really has helped understanding esports and and traditional sports are very alike the only thing that differs is that the game you know while while there's baseball there's call of duty while there's football there is league of legends while there's while there's a basketball there's there's a rocket league i mean they're they're the the dynamics from amateur to semi-pro to pro the structures uh, all of all of those things were were really were at the time they didn't exist but the more we structured things to look like dynamics that people understood the more understanding we got the more the more energy we got and the and the, and the more momentum we got so so we we tried to we, people called us the NCAA of esports which we didn't like we we always saw ourselves as the anti NCAA of esports but but the but the analogy was a good one that that here's a structure that puts schools into conferences around a particular game, no different than a Pac-12 or an SEC or a Big Ten or a TC. This is what we did with, with video gaming and got the publishers on side to, to help us with this. Riot was one of our biggest partners up front. League of Legends now has, they they have their own leagues running, but we were one of the, we got them on the ground floor and got them started and and moved moved their game, League of Legends, into now it's one of, one of the elite Esports, not in, not just in the United States, but around the world, at, at the at the university or college level. So, so it was a again, it was a this this isn't. We had so many analogous kinds of dynamics in the marketplace that we simply that per, converted or, or pivoted to for for esports, and that's how we got so much momentum and so much involvement and support. Yeah, I think one of the, the most interesting things that the colleges did is that the auspices went under academics and not under sports and athletics so that you didn't have to deal with the NCAA eligibility issues so that they can win money and still get a scholarship or they can play outside 
without violating any any student athlete rules. And 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 that's significant, I think, in terms of the growth, because had it been the NCAA before the name, image, and likeness cases that came aboard and changed that, is there probably would have been a lot more restrictions had the NCAA, you know, had had their wallets into esports at that level. You you know, Gary, that the NCAA did look very seriously at esports and at a task force and and hired agencies to look at it. And the year that the early in in 2018, it might have been late in 2017 or early in 2018, the NCAA said we. We are not going to be involved in esports. That that's the end of that year, 2018. I got invited to speak about esports at Learfield's. You know who Learfield is? Learfield's of a big MMR multimedia rights agency for all major colleges and universities, and and they were they host a big event for all their athletic directors in, in New York every year. This was end of 2018. They invited me to. To, to be on stage with Mark Emmert, who was the, then the head of the, the NCAA, and talk about esports. And I think they expected some, you know, big debates uh, and heated debate to erupt. But we started, we didn't really practice or, or barely, you know, shook his hand before we got on stage. And the, the, the premise was, well, you know, where should, where does the NCAA stand in for esports? And of course, Mark was, was articulate about what, why they weren't involved. And they expected me to, to sort of do a counter argument to that. And I, and I actually agreed with them. I said, you're right, you shouldn't be involved. There was supposed to be some big debate about it. And I said, sports is much broader as a result of not being confined to the athletic department. The athletic department is important. Obviously it's got where, where the money is, where the, where the benefactor support is, where, where all the programming and facility support are. But, but in, in, a, in a landscape of a university or college, esports is supported by a STEM program or a computer science program right. or a student life program. In many cases, it's the business school that are supporting the program because of all the career, just, just as there are careers in sports management, there's a, a direct corollary with every every subset of a, 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 a sports management degree as there, there is for an esports management degree. So, so we were all in on helping Scholastic. Still to this day, we are very involved, not just in, in college and High school and my new my new realm at Vindex and Belong Gaming. Those are huge opportunities for more gamers to get involved and to do it in under the auspices of, of not just participation but also education. And we we are very close with a couple of high school districts that have great vision about what gaming is, what esports are, how how their students can be involved. I get a, I get emotional. We have a great partnership with them with a school district in Dallas. It's a Grapevine College Bill. Dollyville Independent School District, and our one of our arenas is is right adjacent, right in the heart of what this gentleman's school district is. The guy's name is Kyle Berger. He's the he's the CTO. He he funded for four years. He funded this all on his own just to get give kids who are they're not they're not athletes in the traditional sense, but they're they're computer science kids. They're they're gaming kids. They're they build their own computer kind of kids and. And he, once he formed his esports program of the, there's like 25,000 students in the, all the collective school district, 1,500 of them are involved in his esports program. And of those 1,500, 80% had never been involved in an extracurricular activity at the school level. 
So, you know, think about accessibility and diversity and inclusivity, oh, it's, how that how that has broadened no question. Um, and brought brought more more kids and given more kids purpose. And when you know I grew up, video gamers were labeled as losers and and they were they were antisocial and they were they yes. stayed in their basement, they ate Cheetos and and they they weren't social and 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 I, I have so many stories about about parents as my kids were growing up belittling me berating me for ruining the the youth of america and yeah, now, I've, I've, um, I've i've been accused of that and, and as we all have in that conversation but then you know when you talk to the parents and you say well you know what's a video game it, it's a story with conflict conflict resolution art music and every time you play it it's different as opposed to you read a book, it's a book, not that you shouldn't read, but the story's the same, the characters don't morph, you have no control. Don't you want your child, because most of the time it's a parent saying it's the worst thing in the world and they're, they're going to become violent kids as they grow up. And you say, but look at what they're learning. I mean, they're learning all the story and they're learning conflict and resolution and character perspective and music and art. And you start talking about that. They go, well, yeah, well, I, I do w want my child to do it. And, and then it seems that the conversation shifts to a balance of playing versus non-playing. And, and it just it's and it's interesting. And you're you're actually a good person that, that to ask this. And I've asked this to many people. What surprises me is the publishers don't really produce many PSAs to talk about the valuable attributes of gaming, that it is social, that you do learn, learn story, that there is art, that 20 percent or, or something like that of city managers in the United States credit SimCity for that career or the cathedral that burnt down that used, I believe it's Assassin's right. Creed, right? From the blueprint yep. to rebuild. And I'm surprised that publishers and, and you being on both sides of the fence, why haven't they taken the opportunity to put that message out? Well, you, you may remember that I think every publisher does it in its own way. However, the, ESA, Entertainment Software Association, has done a lot of of work in that regard. The the, the benefits, uh, especially the sort of the, the the physiological, psychological, emotional, mental development that games can can bring. Nintendo did a you might remember when Game Boy was was popular. What was the name of the game? Brain. I forget the name, but they they had many sequels of of that, and it, and it was targeted and really geared towards seniors who were wanted to keep their their minds agile and active and was it called brain quest or something yeah like well that they they, I, they they've they've done some of that in creating ip for markets and saying and and there's a value proposition to all that but yeah. as a fundamental message to the general public i don't see them having a formalized message or platform about all the things that gaming does you know and even when you hear the stories of the violence in gaming and they blame some shooting or some attack and yeah, that there yeah. there never seems to be that same force from the industry from the publishers who have the most to gain obviously by by doing that and the parents that I've ever spoken to wherever I have, they're at a loss so when they hear some things like that they go oh my god I guess the kids are social they're not antisocial it's it's different and I can sit here and I won't today give you, as you can, hordes of examples of how powerfully social it is. And in many respects, even more so than stick and ball 
sports. Well, and, and think about, you know, you, you're playing a game. This is a great, great story. I, I, I was citing from my past, a, and I still have PTSD about it, a woman who used to harangue me at our, at our children's PT, PS, I'm sorry, the Parent Teacher Association PTA meetings. And, and she knew the common knowledge that I was in the video game business. Her sons used to hang out at our house because my daughters, we had all the gaming systems and she would berate me about, you're ruining my, my son. All he wants to do is sit in the basement. He's antisocial. He, he's got his headsets on all, his heads on all day. He's talking to somebody. I don't know who he's talking to, but he's, he's, he's never going to be a, a, anything worthwhile. And, and this same woman, two years ago, I was, I was back in Minneapolis where, where I grew up and my, I had my, raised my kids. This woman, I saw her at a holiday party. She approached me. I, I, I was like trying to back out of the room as fast <laughs> as I could when I saw her approaching. And she said, you know, I used to, I used to harangue you about the, the, the detriment of, of video gaming that, that I felt my son was on. I said, no, I, I, I certainly remember. And he said, well, now I have a grandson who's really good at Fortnite. Can you help him become a pro? <laughs> so, so, I mean, if that doesn't tell you right then and there well, how gaming has changed no uh, perception. And yeah, we, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable. No, because I, I met somebody recently, you know, and they, what do you do when someone gaming and health and wellness and what have you? And they go, I'm never going to let my grandkids play because of it's violent and they're going to be violent. You know, I looked at this person who's a relative contemporary. I said, well, didn't you play cowboys and Indians and cops and robbers? And, and the guy said, yes. I said, what was the last time you thought about robbing a bank because you played that, right? And he goes, well, no, of course I wouldn't. I said, well, that's this is all fantasy and story and, and what have you. And there's valuable, you know, spatial awareness. There's strategy. There's all these things that they're learning if you can just look at it that way. And they go, yeah, well. Legal, legal Legends is been described as chess split second chess yep. i mean you know and you'd be thrilled if your if your son played chess and was, became good at it just because it's so strategic and it's so it it brings your mind and resource management to the to the forefront so i but you're right. You're you're right here. It's you know, a, I, I just think that, that that they can do more to codify a message. But when you looked at like the the, the college leagues, did you? Ever think about the health and wellness aspect of all the gamers? Are they the anxiety, the the extended gaming sessions, and the chairs as gorgeous as they are are not overly ergonomic? You know, where's the focus and the attention and the brain fog and all the things, the carpal tunnel syndromes? Was that part of what you looked at, or is it just just the organization and the gameplay? We we were more. I'll, I'll to be very honest that 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 wasn't a priority for us, although being in the context of a scholastic environment, we did, balance was really important. The fact that not only to do this and to, and to get the schools to be comfortable with, with allowing their students and their teams to participate in our leagues, we, we had to recognize the balance, that we couldn't encourage them to practice eight hours a day and, and you know, miss school. And we, we were really involved. We have, we implemented a a program where you you no different than the NCAA here another reference to a commonality within NCAA but you had to carry a, a grade point passing grade point average in order to and you had to prove that you before you or as you were enrolling to play that you were carrying a full load number one and number two is that you were you had passing grades so so that was our eligibility you know aligned kind of aligned with the NCAA not not to the degree Gary of what you're suggesting and certainly not to the degree that 
that of, of things that we're supporting now through both the Vindex and the Belong Arenas. But but we did we did start to acknowledge there has to be there has to be a balance. They're they're in the context of education, getting an education, or even the even the traditional sports have to honor that as well. We 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 played by those rules and and we implemented those rules. So so then to the next level of of emotional well-being and and eating eating properly and resting properly and getting exercise to offset your sedentary sort of sedentary life. Although you, most gamers would say they're very active, it's 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 maybe not big muscle activity, but it's small muscle and mental activity. Absolutely. unlike any other sport. So th- those are those were things that we 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 embraced. We 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 wanted to embrace. We the, the in in the in that context was. You know the the well-being and and the and the health of the of the gamer and the and balance for a gamer. So I guess you could say we started that, but not certainly not to how evolved it is and how important it is today. Right. And in the few minutes we have left, tell me about Belong. So you, you've gone from Bushin retail, wholesale, game development, oh, yeah, co- college leagues, and and now Belong is really in the 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 esports venue arena business primarily yeah yeah and and so what's that like for you to go from i mean that that's that's kind of going from wholesale to retail in, in, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah well, well it's it's uh, we definitely you know most of and as we started back to my world game and virgin gaming that was really all digital you know we would culminate as live events when we had a big tournament or where we had a big event on some level, we would culminate as live events, but most of, you know, 90% of all the activations that we, we were accomplishing were online. Now with Belong Gaming, these are these are meant to be in real life venues. We use the word arena, but there's a bit, bit of a misnomer. We The arena word right. speaks to the competitive core of what we're doing, not the size. Think of arena as 20,000 seats sort of experiences. Correct. Think of AT&T uh, in Dallas or whatever, but but these are these aren't they're that, gaming they're, centers. I mean, they're they're, they're game centers. centers. And, right. And and we would call them we do we do call them community hubs that we are, you know, on the ground in a in a in a neighborhood or in a city or in a market. And those 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 venues are meant to attract and appeal to a very localized market. I, you know, the great analogy is I grew up in in Minnesota and played hockey growing up. You know, it was a there was a hockey rink within any oh, yeah. any two blocks in any direction of my house, I could go to the hockey rink. And when I when I wasn't skating, I was hanging out in the warming house. It became not only our you know our competitive hockey, but it was also our social center. And that's essentially what these arenas are for us. They're community hubs for gaming. We are we are building a network of them. Uh, today, there we have 32 total arenas. There are 26 in the UK. We started our U.S. rollout just a year ago. Our first anniversary was just last weekend. Of our first arena in the U.S. was in Dallas, or in, excuse me, in Houston, and we just opened our sixth arena two months ago in Philadelphia. We have plans for a much bigger footprint through a couple of different models. Uh, but but that is all about bringing gaming and esports. We're not all about we again. We use this word arena that sort of connotes competitiveness, but but it's also we're very we're very much social gaming. Our Audiences, you know, you you said it best. Our audiences are are it's, it's gaming is not a hobby for them. This is a lifestyle. This is how they this is how they entertain themselves. This is how they socialize. This is how Absolutely. they're raising their 
their families. You know, millennials and Gen Zs are having kids. There's kids are coming up as gamers. You know, right out of the right out of the womb, and so that's the that's the energy we're we're targeting. That's the energy we're tapping into. That's the energy we're generating, and doing it through these arenas. High all high performance. Uh, best equipment on the planet. We have great partnerships with the likes of PlayStation and Xbox and all the game publishers, HP, the great, great PC manufacturers, our partner on the, on the, uh, the PC side, high-end Omen machines in our arenas, and really meant to bring people together around, around the, the, great, the, the great aspects of, of, of gaming. We do, we, we give, if people are aspiring to improve, we give them all sorts of opportunities and programming tournaments cups, throwdowns, leaderboards, to get involved if they want to be social. We give them community nights. We have a, we have a, we have a great group in Chicago. They're, they're keyboard enthusiasts. They come in every week to talk about their keyboards. And, and I mean, you know, crazy stuff like that. But, it, but they're as enthusiastic as anybody around, around the equipment and the, and the, and the aspect of, of gaming. Through our arenas, we're also, we also have a curriculum that will be launched this fall called Belong Academy. We're actually starting with with Epic. Epic has been a great partner for us. We're going to be teaching Fortnite Creative through Belong Academy in our arenas that then also ties into and 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 latches into Fortnite competitive. So if you're not aware, Epic is a huge supporter of Scholastic initiatives because they have tool sets on Real Engine's a tool set that doesn't is not just a game development tool anymore. It's being used for car designs, being used for fashion designs, being used for house design. Fortnite Creative is a builder tool set. They have another tool set called Twin Motion. We will be teaching all of those um, courses and classwork through our Belong Academy initiative in the arenas. I mean, that's just that's just getting started with with what we're doing there. So so again it really the the these these arenas being being hubs for communities we're where good news is we're getting a lot of engagement and a lot of great support from people seeing what they're doing. Families coming in, it's proving to be a really great concept. Which is fantastic. And and we're just, I got one more question because I'm going to be respectful of our time. Is you've always been a quarter of a mile, if not a mile ahead of what's coming, <laughs> right? I mean, I can sit here and listen to your story and you were ahead of digital before digital really got did and, and college before it got big. And now you're, 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 you're doing this. What's coming next? Well, I, you know, it's a, it's a great question. There, there's subsets that, that are already showing great signs. I, you know, I talk about mobile gaming, but mobile gaming is already, which just not big in, in North America, North, mobile esports, I should say. It's coming to North America. It's huge in Asia already. Certainly, metaverse is is interesting. We're we're doing a lot of that. Uh, you know, pe- people are so fascinated by the metaverse. Yet, if you're a gamer, you've been in the metaverse. You've been in most of the metaverse. Any any experience, you're you're already there. You know, you're already there. Right. You might not have your VR goggle on yet. You might not. But be, you've been there. That's the basis but, of it. But you. That's that's just it's fundamental. And and so for 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 us, it's it's really interesting and, and it's great to see the rest of the world catching up and all these big brands coming in that will and and part of that that energy is because of gaming you know they they're seeing the engagement that the metaverses can can provide and most of that engagement's coming through the you know the the gaming venues how how these 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 gaming environments start to connect to one another you're already seeing signs of that happening so you know from cross play now that you can play a game on an Xbox and play somebody who's on a PlayStation. That's the that's the start of of where the metaverse is going. The avatars in Web three. You're seeing 
avatars that show up in in one ecosystem showing up in another ecosystem. It's all starting to happen. So, so I, that that gets that gets me very excited. And and I think Web three is still a lot of work to do there. But but as we grew up, you know, playing games, you know, I can countless hundreds of hours playing World of Warcraft. Put all that time and energy into building my avatar, my experience, my gold, my 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 levels on in World of Warcraft. I don't own any of that. Essentially, I'm renting it. But in Web three, you all that time and energy and and customization you're bringing for it. Not only do you own it, you can resell it. You right. can you can do there. There's a lot of of work that needs to go on the model. Some of the early models showed a lot of promise. Are not not proving to be quite what they what what we thought they were going to be. But nonetheless, that 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 genie's out of the bottle, and there's going to be a lot more coming in in that regard. So again, I, I I'm I'm sort of still shell shocked by how big gaming has become, and it's been fun to to be able to see it and you know have a have a maybe a, a small hand, but have a hand nonetheless in in helping get us there. And it's been it's been just couldn't have more. I should have retired many years ago, but I'm still having fun and. I'll I'll stop when I when I don't think I can add any more value. I still think I have a fair Man, amount that, of value. That, that's a, that's a long time away. I I appreciate not only your story and your journey, but everything you're doing. And I'm going to circle back with you probably in six months and have you tell us what's coming six months later. I look forward to it. And we'll do it again. You're great, great to to be on with you. And thanks thank you again for thank you, Wim. Me. Stay well. Uh, um, we'll be in touch. Too. Thank you. Thank buddy. you, Gary. Thank All you. right, Wim. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the MAP Esports Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to leave us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast player.